Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 123 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates, and I have another long overdue guest. I've got Marcus Martinez. He's well known as pretty much one of the true leaders and authorities in the kettlebell space in our industry. Last episode, I just had Adam Bornstein, and Adam was long overdue, so I've got a couple of, of awesome ones. I'm excited. And um, a little bit, well, welcome to the show for starters, and I'll tell everybody a little bit about you, Marcus. Appreciate you having me on. I'm very excited. And this is very long overdue. I've been sitting here waiting for the call, man. So. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it, a lot of it's a respect for, like, I don't feel entitled to people's time, and I know people who are busy. So obviously, as I said, you are a master of kettlebell training and education. Uh, you, you've created kettlebell certifications. You, you helped build the Onnit Academy, uh, and they're leaders in kettlebell training. Uh, you've been featured in Men's Health, Bodybuilding.com, Oxygen Magazine. I know you've done a bunch of work with Kettlebell Kings. So that's a pretty cool legacy. So let's dive right in. And uh, I, I suppose on the back of all that stuff, you've developed a pretty dedicated and large following, right? And do you find that you're influencing an entire generation of Kettlebell enthusiasts? Was there a major inflection point? Was there something like getting in with bodybuilding or getting in with on it that really took your brand shot it through or has this been just a really slow burn of just doing good things on a consistent basis uh i mean it was definitely a combination because i was just talking about instagram and my instagram has grown not maybe to the extent of other people but it grew pretty quickly uh at first and I, then i realized i'm like shit i started this thing in like 2012 i've been in business since 2008 like this is not a like overnight success by any stretch um, so watching it grow and seeing that I was on the right path and, you know, really because I was just sharing the things that excited me and the things that I felt kind of called towards and things that I enjoyed training with and, you know, having my clients train with. So that was definitely the slow burn, but then absolutely connecting with on it. That was, uh, that was like a, a, just an upward turn. So at that point it was like, here's where we can connect with a lot of weirdos in the fitness industry, because this is so unlike things that they had seen nobody had heard of maces and clubs i had maces and clubs in my gym for freaking 10 years and people come in and be like oh and they swing it like a bat and kettlebells they'd look at and they'd be like oh those are cool and then they'd walk away but it was uh, it was a cool place to connect and really find a lot of like my people and then bring in those kind of oddballs those people that were like okay i love traditional lifting but i want to supplement it with some of these tools that look a little bit freer in their motions and things that we can do with them and I can, you know, I don't have to have a whole gym of equipment. So yeah, definitely, definitely on it was like the first uptick. We were talking off air how um, our mutual friend, Sam Pogue, who's a, you know, he's been on as a guest before, if you go way back. Uh, Sam's great. I met Sam in 2017 at Luca's uh, Fitness Ground Vigor and Business Conference. And Sam was one of the presenters. And again, he did a presentation with Maces. And I think that was probably my first real exposure to them. I thought, oh, this shit's cool. And of course, Luca's gym, he's got a big pile of them there. And tons of kettlebells and I'm definitely from that background where I didn't get a ton of exposure to kettlebells you have a few in the gym and and you know you learn mastery hopefully of a swing I actually think every trainer really should be able to ed teach their clients a great looking swing I think it's an incredible tool and I guess that's a gateway but for me I've probably far too long been more of the hey let's go use these things for farmers carries and swings and <laughs> so I and I've done a little bit of like kettlebell courses in the old company, but I haven't had access to more. So I find this stuff fascinating. And then I see people like, well, you, you have a really good, well, I want to talk about this after, but a really good blend of 
showcasing the potential, but also really mastering the basics and showing the utility of this that makes it more accessible to the everyday person. And we were talking about Adriel uh, and and how great he is with this stuff. And then we got guys like, you know, the younger trainers like uh, Keanu Soto and Jared Kadina. Kid, uh, hold on, let me make sure I get Cardona. Uh, it's, uh, shoot, uh, Cardona. My apologies, Jared Cardona, the crazy trainer. And those guys, I met them both in, in my travels and they're doing all kinds of like really cool performative stuff, which just shows the the potential. You know what? I, I think maybe we can go there. So what, what do you think about that balance between showcasing performance and creativity while still making sure that people watching this don't go, well, shit, I can never do that. Those things are scary and intimidating. How do you get more people to simply put kettlebells in their hands and feel confident training with them? Well, the first thing you got to look at is why is the person getting a kettlebell? They're not getting it typically because they just want to do three exercises with it. They're getting it for the freedom that a kettlebell can allow and the different movements that you can incorporate, rotational. I mean, if we're going into flow and juggling, let's go back to Jeff Martone, who had one of the, do I have a freaking hand-to-hand, -hand, it's called H2H uh, juggling DVD that I used to watch. Yeah, exactly. That's how, that's how old I am. And uh, it was a Jeff Martone video where it was all about hand-to-hand -hand stuff. And, you know, at first I remember seeing it and thinking like, yeah, that's kind of silly. Like, what's the point? Why let go of the bell? And then I started doing it. And I was like, okay, this is number one for me with my training. Like, I want to make sure I'm enjoying it. I mean, that's just plain and simple. I love, you know, feeling athletic. I love feeling like I'm getting some hand-to-hand -hand coordination or hand-eye coordination, uh, getting some athleticism in there, getting some, you know, creativity in. So that right there off the bat was like, okay, this is fun. And then it was a effing workout. Like my heart rate was through the roof just from swinging this like 53 pound bell and doing some juggling with it. So there's definitely a lot of benefit to that stuff. And then the performative side of it, I would say it gets into this like flow state, which I, I absolutely am a big proponent of flow. It adds a level of you know, creativity, exploration, fun into training that is typically done in a very linear fashion. It's like, okay, everything's progressive overload. We're doing the same exercises. We want to get stronger. Strength is a skill. Absolutely. And we want those to be the main tenets of our training. But as we grow up, we typically don't play anymore. We typically don't do fun things anymore. You know, maybe you're doing martial arts, maybe you play a sport, but most people, they don't do shit. They go to the gym, they do their cardio and they're done. So being able to have this tool that now all of a sudden you can feel like a kid again, you can feel like you're out playing and just doing different things and there's no rhyme or reason and there doesn't have to be like that is a level of freedom with your fitness and your body that I cannot replicate with any other tool. Well, I didn't even think about it this way before, but it's, it's a good analogy for music and dance because what do people do in things like music? You learn the basics, you learn your scales. I mean, I, I had a guitar when I was younger, didn't have a lot of aptitude, but also didn't put in the time, love good music. But what what are the most creative musicians and dancers great at? They absolutely own and master the fundamentals. We see the same expression yeah. when it comes to I mean, basketball players like your Kobe Bryant's and your Steph Curry's who are legendary for their ability to be creative in playing their sport when in fact they spend their time mastering the, the true fundamentals. And I can actually understand if someone really gains mastery of how a kettlebell feels and how you do basic movements with it, then there is room to express uh, creativity and be playful with it. And so I hadn't thought of it that way before. So hopefully that sort of plants a seed with other people. Absolutely. And that's why with the stuff that I like to push out and the education I like to put out, it's always based on the fundamentals because 
the ability to get into flow and juggle and do all the kind of, you know, silly stuff with kettlebell that was all, you know, started off with years of doing the basics. So my goal is to kind of expedite that for people. So that way they can still master the basics. That's still the, you know, the main chunk of their training, but they have the freedom to be able to choose what they do. I always say in my courses, are you doing something because that's the way you've always done it? Or that's because that's the way you choose to do it. And there's so many people that do something and they've like dialed in, this is the way I do it. And they don't really realize that's just because that's the only way they've done it. So to show people different things, so that way they can now take charge of their own fitness and be able to add levels, add layers that they wouldn't have done before. But again, it all starts with lots of swings, lots of rack positions, lots of farmer carries, lots of staring at a dusty kettlebell, whatever you have to do to you know get those reps in. It's uh, letting your fresh vegetables rot in <laughs> a few times before you get better at eating them, I suppose, right? Exactly. Use it, use it as a doorstop for a few weeks before you decide to... Uh... They do make it. Uh, I, I was thinking... <laughs> no, I, I had to gather my thoughts. So I think with a lot of training methodologies, a lot of training tools, we do get very fixed in how we view their function. There are lots of examples there are people in our industry who are actually good at using tools in innovative ways, but still basic applications where I get into, I, I find it frustrating when we see people being innovative for the sake of innovation. Yeah. Performative. I, I, and we know that stuff exists and people complain about it. it's low hanging fruit. I'm not interested in beating that drum, but I like stuff like uh, my buddy, Gareth Sapstead, who's over in the UK, Gareth. I mean, someone probably thought of this before him, but he innovated and popularized it where Okay, single leg hip thrusts. He would set himself up at a bench, put a landmine, you know, with cushioning in the crux of one hip, and you now have a very effective way to load and load heavily a single leg hip thrust where setting a dumbbell there is not always necessarily all that comfortable or effective. And what do we got? We actually have something that actually works really well, even though on the surface you look at it, it's like, oh, that's creative. A lot of people hadn't seen it before. And you get other people who are, you know, big into glute training start to adopt this and popularize this movement. So I suppose if we think about it that way, there are lots of ways we can use the basic stuff in more and more innovative ways. And I'm open to the idea. I mean, again, we also have to get over our belief systems and our mental blocks about these tools. Do you think there's any confusion over where to start with kettlebells, things like hard style? And, and I know there's different uh, certifications and different disciplines. And I'm trying to remember because I, sh I should know my stuff. Who is it that uh, famous name, but it's slipping my mind, who kind of brought over and popularized kettlebells in the industry? Who am I? Pavel. Pavel, Pavel Setseling. Yeah. Pavel, yeah. Absolutely. And there, I think, I of all the, the kettlebell people I know and the ones that can do some absolutely insane things with kettlebells, I've yet to see any one of them say anything other than, all right, let's start with the basics. Like I've never heard anyone be like, you should really start with a two hand flip behind the back. Like that's how you really get good at kettlebells. So it's like most people, most coaches, and uh, you know, as long as they're not just like Instagram kettlebell people where it's like, oh, I just picked up a kettlebell and I've never trained anybody. And here's all the crazy things you can do with it. As long as that's what they're saying on there, most people are going to say, start with the basics. And so that's where, you know, if someone's just, looking at opening up social media, they type in kettlebells and they're just going off of that. First off, that's a terrible way to learn anything in any field. I wouldn't just open up a social media and click on that. I would click on how to start with kettlebells, beginner kettlebells. So with that said, I feel like most people are going to say, yeah, start with deadlifts, start with two hand swings, start with two hand cleans, start with dead start cleans, and then work your way up. 
Um, but that's why like, social media is a double-edged sword where you have the ability to share lots of cool stuff and get a lot of good ideas, but it also has a lot of noise out there. So it's got to be, you know, on the person taking in the information to be a little bit more discerning with what they're taking in. I, I agree. You know, caveat emptor, buyer beware. There is a certain amount of responsibility now. We know a lot of people are putting stuff out that looks great. So I I personally think that coaches, it's a, it's wasted time, energy, mental bandwidth to just complain about the people who are sharing what we'll call misinformation, however, in whatever context. I'm a big believer in do something about it, right? I set out late 2019, I decided, all right, already writing for some, you know, a big publication. It's time I started treating social media, particularly Instagram, as a complement to it. And I just would post every day, post every day, post every day. It would gradually build, gradually build. And then it sort of like really started taking off. And now we're where we are, which it's been a very valuable tool as opposed to having this sour grapes attitude because someone never, never either invested the time, consistency, bullshit. I mean, what are we always telling our clients? The person who expects to be, you know, lose 50 pounds of body fat in six weeks and then is frustrated and then says, fuck it and goes right back to the, the ice cream and the couch metaphorically and literally. Well, there are coaches who do the same thing when it comes to brand building, media building, following building, or they take this belittling attitude about, ooh, you know, influencers and large followings. Well, first of all, some of those people buy their following. Some of it's fake, right? So stop worrying about those people. Second, if you look around at most of the people who have large followings, who are the, the established educators in our industry, there's a reason people are literally looking for them because they're getting exposure at seeing them speak at events or their media is everywhere. They're appearing on all the podcasts. They're just doing great stuff. Luca Hosvar is a phenomenal example of this. Don Saladino, phenomenal example. Sohi Lee, Kelsey and Dennis Heenan. There's phenomenal examples of this because they have such a legacy of education and impact you know, across the industry. And in some of many of the people I just named, they're, they're breaking into mainstream audiences. You know, look at Ben Bruno again, right? We were going to talk a little bit about, you know, how I find it funny when I, I see on your social media, it's you, it's Sohi, uh, Ben Carpenter, it's uh, Kelsey and Dennis, who are, I was just on the phone with Dennis just two days ago, getting him. So Kelsey and Dennis Heenan are going to be speakers at my event. I keep dropping hints about who are my speakers. I'm going to launch <laughs> Very soon, registration, I've just get, got to get the website finished, and then people will be able to register for my event in October in Edmonton, October 13th to 14th. But Kelsey and Dennis are in it. But these are your friends. You're hanging out with these guys all the time. And so I, I think there's a few things about this. It, what First of all, what kind of influence does it have on you career-wise to be surrounded by a community of people who have a very demonstrated track record of success in the industry. And I suppose I could, I could throw a group of questions together and let you go where you want. And do you find that the, the people who are in this space gravitate towards each other because there's something relatable or is it, we just tend to show those friends of ours on our media and our other friends who are not in the industry, who have like 200 followers in a very private life. We, we just kind of keep that. They, they don't want to wave them around. I know. Shout out to my neighbor, Johnny, who has 150 members or 150 subscribers and uh, his private account. We do hill sprints together. You know, I tag him all the time. Right. Now, I think that with this, it's, you know, like minds. I mean, we're all in the fitness industry, number one. I mean, just like you would in a gym, you would be friends with the fellow trainers and people that you connect with, people that you go to workshops, you know, back in the day when you would go to certifications, go to workshops, you'd connect with people and you would find the people that just kind of, you know, fell in line with you and you kept a relationship. 
Um, so there's definitely that aspect. There's the fact that we all are on social media and that's kind of how a lot of us connected. Like you we were friends of friends and they'd have events and we'd all get together. And then just the same way, I've met a lot of people. I like a lot of people. There's a lot of people I wouldn't necessarily be friends with. So the ones that I am hanging out with, those are people that we could not talk about fitness. We could not talk about social media. We could not talk about anything and just talk about pickleball and X-Men and we'd be totally cool. So there's definitely that aspect for me. I'm only going to hang out with people that I want to hang out with. I don't care what following is. I don't care what they could do for me. You know, it doesn't mean shit to me. If I don't like hanging out with that person, I'm not going to sit there and, you know, swallow my tongue and be like this fucking person again. I can't do that. So there's definitely like, we actually enjoy hanging out with each other. And then there's also, you want to hang out with people that are going to rise you up. There's going to be people that are going to inspire you. And I look at people like Sohi and Ben and Kelsey and Dennis and Venus and people who are doing such amazing things and they're so driven and they're so internally motivated. It's fucking infectious. It's just like these people make me want to be better. So that's a big thing for me as well. And I hope I do that to them as well. I mean, they keep inviting me. So I'm assuming I'm doing something for them. Maybe I'm making them laugh, but it's like, I want to make sure that I am the, you know, I know I'm the surrounding or I'm, I'm going to be the, some of the people I hang out with. So I want to make sure that group is very solid and uh, very in line with me. And the people I've seen kind of hanging out together, it's wild too. Right. Um, and I don't know if I've ever seen like you and Jill Coleman in the same spot, but like, I know Jill is really tight with Sohi. So she's sort of part of that world. And then you get Sierra Nielsen um, and then Sierra's sister. And then if I'm not mistaken, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure Jeanette Jenkins, she's, she's really well known for a lot of things but yeah things trainer um, amongst other things too so and so I, I know there's this massive community of people who are just doing really awesome stuff but it does make sense that you know you guys are gravity toward each other the same way you know uh, don saladino has become a good friend of mine luca hosfar obviously and then kelsey and dennis that's how i met kelsey and dennis is through luca and so they're all really tight and so they've invited me to hang out at stuff and now i've they're all speakers at my event. So Don Lucas, well. <laughs> I, I, I'm happy slipping this stuff out and, and screw with people. I did post the list, the entire thing on my Facebook a while ago. So if you really want to dig around, you'll find it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, these, these are not necessarily secrets. So, and I'm always inspired when I'm around people who are doing great things. Even when I started traveling within the industry in 2017, all the stuff that's happened to me, all the writing, all the public speaking is because I started traveling to events uh, first event I ever went to, I met Sohili. I met Spencer Nadolski. I met a whole bunch of really cool, successful people in the industry. Greg Knuckles was at that event. Andy Morgan, you know, list goes on and on. And I think, yeah, everybody there has been a podcast guest of mine somewhere along the way. So he was one of our first, the old format, 270 episodes ago. So he was one <laughs> of the episodes we had. And it's the most downloaded episode of all time because back then everybody didn't have a podcast. And of course, you know, someone shares on their media and everybody listens to it. So, but so, I mean, again, so he's great. Someone, someone I've always supported because, you know, she's doing really good stuff. Totally. And I think, you know, I get the question a lot from new coaches and new trainers, like, how do I get in? How do I do these things? And the reality is like, if you're doing great stuff and you're not trying, I mean, this sounds so cliche, but like the cream rises to the top. If people are coming in and they're authentic and they're fun to hang out with and they're cool and they're not like, you know, like I've been to events and I know you have as well where immediately someone just gravitates towards you and they just immediately start talking about, oh, social media, oh, let's get together, let's shoot. I'm like, get the fuck out. Like, I don't want to talk to that person for another second. It's like someone messaging you and be like, hey, can I be on your podcast? Hey, can I be on your podcast? Like, you're going to be like, sure, I'll put you on the list. I mean, it's a list that I'm going to not write anything on, but cool. So it's just the more that you can network and have that connection with people, but it's all about connection. It's all about relationships. And if you can really truly 
be authentic. And some people you're just not going to jive with. Some people you will, and that's fine. You don't have to try to insert yourself into everything. And you know, I've taught so many courses and been to so many events and been with it, been in the the area where a lot of people were trying to get in. And you can see the people who are going to go in, and you can see the people who it's like nothing you do is going to make anybody want to work with you. And it's it's hard. It's just you know, there there are so many things I've talked about this on a few podcasts before, and. I'm passionate about this message. When we get people who are really wired to seek status, and it's a very human desire. We 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 see the world through status. There are status cues. It is how humans understand and navigate a lot of social interaction. There's social cues to it. But when it becomes the predominant lens through which you operate and live life in order to do things transactionally to seek status, A, people tell. They tell, and then they don't want to be involved with you. I'm of the attitude of be of service. A conversation I had with Krista Scott Dixon, another one of my speakers at my event, who's an awesome human and one of the architects of precision nutrition. We just got into this whole discussion and that phrase be of service really stuck with me. And everybody who is a successful authority figure in the industry, or at least damn near close to all of them, I, I tell coaches, don't try to create any media or do anything to impress them directly. They will all be impressed if you do an incredible job of building a foundation of education, support, coaching people, and if you do a really killer job and you're conscientious of the things that help build your business, your media, you're eventually going to rise to the top, stand out, get invitations to appear on podcasts, speak at events. And all of a sudden, and if you just go about that with that mindset, I tend to find that other people just simply want to be associated with you. They want to have you involved in their stuff. Because they can tell you're not doing it because, hey, I want to rub shoulders with this person. And quite frankly, it's okay to be excited to go meet someone you look up to at, at these sort of events. I've done tons of it. Some of them are now good friends of mine. Some of them, it was like, okay, cool. It was just nice to meet them. It was meaningful to me. And that was kind of it. But it still all starts with, if you do a really killer job with the person in front of you and you find ways to scale both the business and the media, then usually applied over a long enough time frame, really cool stuff happens. And I think you have, you still, it's okay to be ambitious. It's okay to have drive and desire for success. And it's okay to understand that status is a byproduct of doing all these things, but do not so, use status seeking as your North star in everything you do. No, it has to come down to value add. What are, what is the value that you're adding to someone's life? I mean, that's what they're going to remember, but the, you know, what you said about service really resonates with me on a, on a personal level. You know, I had, had opened, owned and operated a gym, was teaching workshops. And my wife, we were together for about seven, eight, nine years. We had three kids. We ended up getting divorced. So we had this time where like everything in my life just kind of dissipated. And it was like, holy shit, all the things that mattered to me were gone. I mean, it was, it was like overnight. And, you know, there was this time in my life where I realized, what am I doing? Am I doing this for me? Am I doing this for others? Like, what the fuck? So I literally changed everything into this place of service. How can I be of service? How can I be of service to my children? How can I be of service to my you know, friends, my community, my parents, my at the time ex-wife and you know, show the people that it's not about me, it's about them. And over the years doing that and just focusing on service, it was like everything just started to get better in my life and, and around me. And it was so crazy. And to the point where my ex-wife and I, we actually started kind of talking again. We started connecting it. We actually got remarried and we had our fourth kid uh, two years ago. So it's like, 
all that because I'm like, oh, I'm not going to focus on me. I'm going to focus on how can I serve others? So being able to serve my family, being able to serve even the people. When I look at my social media, it's like, how can I serve people on here? Even though it's me doing exercises, what service does this provide? It provides some, uh, you know, here's some new ways you can use the kettlebell. Here's some education that you can incorporate. Here's something that you can use immediately. Here's some digestible, accessible information. It's like, how can you be of service? And like you just said, the more you do that, the more people are going to gravitate towards you. You're not going to have to reach out. It's just going to happen for you. And I mean, I think fam balance, I, I want to definitely get into boundaries here, but the balance between sort of family and the career stuff, uh, I think Alex Hormozzi's the one who talks about this a lot about seasons of, of mm -hmm. work and how you approach different things. And it's okay to have seasons of hard work, uh, you know, aggressive build and understand that there's sacrifice. The goal is not Absolutely. To so much sacrifice to where, you're sacrificing the quality experience of your family. The book Essentialism, which I recommend, um, Greg McKeon. Greg McKeon, yeah, it's a great one. He talks a lot about, well, it, it's a book about saying no, right? That yes. the most successful people in our industry, John Berardi, Molly Galbraith, so many others, Jonathan Goodman, they are great at saying no and setting boundaries. And they're all really good. Uh, Brett Bartholomew is another one. And so he is phenomenal at this about saying no to a lot of things that creates room to focus on the stuff that matters, like Sohi getting her PhD done, her research, um, being able to build a business and, and to have the time for family. So what what is your, like you, you alluded to this, but how is your approach to setting boundaries evolved over time? Because you said wow. yes to coming on my podcast. And like I said, I did not feel entitled to getting you on here. Um, and I'm grateful to have this hour of excited because, you know, you're someone who I admire in terms of what you've done in the industry, but yeah. How do you navigate, you know, do you have a value system around what you say yes to what you say no to advice for coaches in different stages of their careers? Absolutely. I mean, first it has to do, it doesn't always have to be about longevity. Like I said, we've been friends on Facebook for a very long time. So I've seen your stuff for a long time. I've seen your articles on teen nations. So there was definitely some longevity there. There was already some trust built. It wasn't just a random, Hey, can I get you on my podcast? Hey, can we talk? So, Having that trust be there is a huge thing for me. Um, and then, of course, because mutual friends, there was that connection. So it was like, okay, this is a no-brainer. And, you know, not to sound like an asshole, but there's lots of times where people will say, hey, can you get me a podcast? Hey, I'd love to get on a talk. Hey, I'd love to have you come do this. And it's like, I would love to. I wish I could do that. But my number one priority is my family. My number one priority is being with my family, which I'm with my family every single day, which sometimes that's why I can go to LA for the day or go play uh, pickleball for six hours because I need that little time. But the focus is, does it take away from my family life? And if it does in any way, shape or form, then I'm most likely going to say no. So whether that's for an event, for even an hour of time, it's like, you know, it's, I, I, my time is so valuable to me and as it should be for everybody. And for years, years, I would not, I didn't think that way. It was like, oh yeah, whatever. Sure. I'm in, I'm in. Yes. Was like my default uh, answer to everything. And it was like, even though as I'm saying, yes, my mind's like, the fuck are you doing? You mean, no, you mean no. say no. And I'm saying yes. So doing that over time was definitely the default. And when I realized what was important and what was valuable and what I was giving up in the process of doing those things, that just made it a no brainer. So for new coaches and new trainers, the first thing that you have to do, you have to create a value system for yourself. What do you value about yourself? What is your worthwhile you know, mission? What is it that you bring to the table that you feel like? Not, I'm not saying what other people say you bring to the table. What value do you really feel for yourself? Because if you don't value yourself, you're not going to value your time and you're going to be pulled in every single direction. And I say that 
from the utmost of perspectives because that is how I was. I was pulled in every direction based on what people wanted for me, from me, and I just let it happen. So once you really get to the root of yourself and valuing yourself, you'll value your time and you will make much, much better decisions on what you do with that time. And I really do think early in your career, we, we can look back and lament mistakes made and, and like overloading schedule by saying yes to too much. But I think it's fundamentally a mistake to say no to everything early in your career. You have to say yes to different types of clients, different opportunities. Absolutely. Um, the first public speaking event that I was asked to do was for a friend of mine. I'd already attended his event a couple of times, loved it. I was filling in for Greg Knuckles. Thank you, Greg. I owe my public speaking career literally to you. Thank you, brother. And honestly, I, I sort of hesitated, but I said, okay, yes, I will. He really wanted me to do it. Uh, worked hard on the presentation, went well, and that just led to a string more. Um, there are other things that I was asked to do before I felt I was ready, but I said yes to them. And those things have led to incredible stuff. When my friend Dean Guido asked me to start a podcast with him, thought it was a cool idea. Cool. Guess what? Five and a half years later, I'm still here. And he had to leave after 150 episodes because, well, at the time, his wife was expecting first child. And this was something that he triaged out because he knew, hey, I want to prioritize family. But he was insistent, I keep this going. So anybody who's a longtime listener kind of knows this story. So that makes sense. There's something you said in there that I really like. Um, you mentioned about like being on my media for a while and sort of trust and the and the, the connection of mutual friends. And this is a concept, Alex Ramo, I, I like a lot of Alex's stuff. Alex has got some good mental models. So he talks about this in terms of uh, building up a, well, actually, he doesn't even use his language. I like this one. It's a building up a bank of grace. So he talks about the Gary Vaynerchuk, jab, 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 eventually right hook. But Alex is more of the mindset that's sort of like mine, where it's like, you just throw, keep throwing jabs. You just keep giving. You keep just giving, giving, giving. And if your stuff's so good, people are literally going to ask you and turn around anyway. But this also applies on an individual basis. Like you said, Facebook friends for a very long time, uh, you know, limited little pockets of interaction, et cetera. But what never happened along the whole way? Neither one of us turned around and asked the other for some sort of absurd favor. Hey, bro, you know, especially right away, you know, even simple things like you get a new Facebook friend request and all of a sudden someone invites you to like their business page. It's like, no, like little things like that, as simple as they are, it's kind of like, it's a bad sign. It's a red flag. Yeah. So I'm of the mindset. If you can find ways to give and support and find, find things. All right. Well, what is this? What would this person value? And it's not even sending messages and saying, Hey, what do you need? How can I help you? It's to actually like pay attention and figure out a way that would be really valuable and helpful and share it with them. And a lot of people make asks that they pretend are doing people favors, but really what they're doing is they're asking for something for themselves. And, and quite frankly, you know, asking someone to come on a podcast is sort of an example. Or when someone asks to come on a podcast, hey, I've got a really great story. And I don't want to make anybody feel bad, but it's like, okay, the podcast host has a limited amount of time each week. There's effort in, I, I mine are minimally produced. I actually just like doing it the way it is, but a lot of people put a lot of production time, there's cost involved, you know, prep time, et cetera. And, and there's a slot, you know, a lot of podcasts are weekly. So that's one slot. I've got a crazy busy schedule. So it's, it's not doing me a favor to have a really great story. If you've gone and built an incredible legacy of education and impact with people, then it puts you in a position where I'm like, hey, I would really like to talk to you and share you with the audience that I have. So um, that's kind of my thinking on that one. 
Absolutely. It, it all comes down to trust. And when you, when you focus on that and you focus on that value add, and it's not about what can you get, it's how can you give, then you get so much more. I mean, it's till, old adage. It's like, you're always going to give more than you're, you know, if, when your focus is on giving than when you're trying to receive and you're trying to take. And it is very clear on the people who are trying to take. You can see it immediately. They might think they're sneaky. Nobody's sneaky. Everybody, everybody knows. So it's the more you can focus on that. And for, again, and going back to what you said about, you know, as a young trainer, as a young coach, you know, you have to say yes to things. You can't just say no to everything. And I said yes to a lot of things and a lot of things I didn't want to say yes to turned into phenomenal, awesome, big things. So <laughs> I absolutely, uh, you know, I answered a YouTube uh, video uh, message one time and it turned into a string of workshops in Argentina for a number of years and a friendships that I've still maintained this 15 years later. So it's like, because I answered a DM on YouTube that I would have always just been like, ah, delete, delete. So yes, say yes to a lot of things, but, but with that said, be a little discerning in what you're doing so that you're not just saying yes to everything, being pulled to everything. And everyone is going to try to pull you into what they want. You know, as much as we like to think people have our best interests in mind, nobody but your own mother has their your best interests in mind. And that's pretty much it. So focus on what value you can give, but be discerning with your time and what value you add to things. I like what you said earlier about figuring out your values early, because I think as you say yes to a lot of stuff, you'll run everything through the filter of your values and you'll get that icky feeling when you know what you're saying yes to doesn't seem to fit your values. Yes. And it's part of the experience of getting good at it. And, and again, yeah. so he's a wonderful example. Like, so he, because I've had so he on social media for so long, I've gotten to see the transition and transformation and how she's felt more comfortable in authentically being herself and being more comfortable in, in saying no and setting these boundaries around people's access to her. I mean, I'm not there DMing Sohi all the time. I, I'm very thoughtful if I'm going to send her a message to something that isn't a, 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 a take from her time because I know she's been working on this PhD for a while, right? So it, it's understanding that. And I think everybody's going to go through this stuff you'll figure out what what values what's valuable to you so question what what are you working on right now what's kind of next where are you what season are you in in your career so i went from you know focusing everything on kettlebells kettlebell education and i kind of stepped away from it last year when i started to get into some live teaching like kind of uh you know live virtual classes uh with this company out in la and it was really fun at the time and then i stepped away from that and i had this kind of like just space where it was like, oh man, I, I've been doing kettlebells for so long. Do I want to keep going through kettlebells? You know, at what point does it like just, you know, you know, hang the hat up, let's try something new. And, you know, there's a couple of other things that I'm going to be kind of playing around with, but going back into some solid kettlebell education, I'm very excited about because I haven't done kettlebell education on my own in a long time. It's been since, since I went with on it. So once I went in with on it, I had some workshops here and there on my own, but then everything was pretty much on it. And then when going with working with Kettlebell Kings, creating the course for them and letting them fit and fantastic and had a blast doing it. So having something that is the culmination of kind of the 20 years in fitness and the 15 years, 18 years in kettlebells and, you know, to have something as a legacy in the kettlebell world that I know is going to, you know, help a lot of people simplify things for a lot of people, but at the same time, give them a direction that they can kind of play around with. So creating some new courses that I'm going to be launching pretty soon. Um, very pumped about that. And then uh, just 
like I said, working with some different companies. A, a friend of mine has this app, The Way 126. That's a it takes meditation to. I can't even call it meditation app. It's just getting into this space of empowering people and giving them the ability to create the life that they want. And this is a person who's been, which ironically, I met this guy at a kettlebell certification back in 2008. But uh, just watching his transformation into this space of how can we help people master their emotions? How can we help them create the life they truly want and not be driven by who they think they are, what people think of them. It's this place where it's like, this is truly a place that we want to empower people and have them be the person that they want to be and not just kind of, you know, fall into the fold of life, which so many people do. And like we were talking about before the call, just you're constantly comparing yourself to others. You're constantly you know, competing with others. I'm like, my whole fucking life has been about creation, not competition. I want to create and that's going to allow me to build something so much better. And I don't get bogged down with what are these people doing? What's that person doing? Oh, this person's got an app now. This person's that that's too much freaking stress. I don't want to do that. I've never seen you once enter any of contentious sort of argumentative, you know, social media. In fact, very strong correlation. There are exceptions, but there is a very strong correlation between the the people who have achieved grand success, brand, but business development and how little time they spend in the comment sections on Facebook. I'll give sort of Greg Knuckles and Mike Ezertel like props because they, they traditionally, they've done lots of that stuff. But I think maybe it's like, and, and even Greg's taken a big pivot in terms of how accessible, like publicly he said, he's no longer able to respond to every message and how much time it was consuming. I think Mike just does it to stay sharp and have fun. I mean, Mike's Mike. But uh, outside of those two, there's not necessarily a lot of people who spend an enormous amount of time on Facebook. And I've noticed that as a lot of stuff has grown and, and happened in my career, I have definitely had a lot less time for Facebook. Now, also, I've turned around and used Instagram as a major platform, and I do try to be very responsive there. There may come a limit to that, but if someone DMs me, I respond to everything. Sometimes it's junk and I delete it, but the bat, if it's a real person and it's not a stupid ask of me, then I'm going to give a kind of reply so that's that's important to me absolutely and you know it's i don't know social social media is so funny we can talk about that all day it's such a it's such a such a crazy experiment that we're just thrusting ourselves into that we have no idea how to handle and you can see that in the comment section where you're just like first of all not all opinions are equal you might all have one but they're not all equal it's just amazing to me that you can have this you know well thought out research backed post and then you'll have some anonymous comments like fucking bullshit and like that get that there's some like, people will look at that and they'll question the validity of the post from that one comment so it's a it's definitely a funny place so when it comes to you know comment sections or you know haters or you know i'll i will you know occasionally you know throw in there like how people say kettlebell should be used because that is just hilarious to me like anytime someone says this is how you have to do something it's like for the most part, you're just asking me to not do that because I don't do that. And most people don't like to be told what to do with those things. So I like the ability to show different things with that, but like life's too short for that bullshit. Like I said, I don't want to hang out with people that I don't, that bring me down even the slightest. I don't want to spend time on social media, looking at comments from people who have no idea who the fuck I am or what values that I have. And they're just inserting their own, the amount of times I will say this every now and then I will uh, contend with somebody and it's never from a place of like, fuck you, fuck you. It's always a place like, Hey, this is how I do it. And there's like some kind of learning experience. And nine times out of 10, the person apologizes. They're like, 
you know, my bad. I was having a rough day. Didn't mean that. Or, hey, wow, that was actually very helpful. Thank you so much. What started off as like a bullshit comment. So if you come at it from a place of don't take anything personally, which is very hard for most humans, but don't take anything personally, then nothing can affect you. You're impervious to anything that people can say online. It's one of the four agreements. Great book, by the way, right? Fantastic book. That was Listen, the start of my transformation. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I would tell people, go read that book. We're talking about giving, go read The Go-Giver. You could get through those two books in, in like half a day combined. They're both so short. So guys, go check those out. Um, super quick hitter question, sort of a, a tease about the last one. Uh, American style or Russian style kettlebell swing? So I, uh, you know, here's the thing. I love the Russian style, the hard style, the one that Pavel kind of popularized because it's very powerful. It's very inefficient because you don't want to be able to do it for a long time. You want to be able to hit it hard for five reps, 10 reps, 15 reps, whatever. But I very much like kettlebell sport because of the efficiency of it, where you can now get into conditioning, endurance-based training. So you can take the same tool, the same weight, the same exercise and make it a powerful explosive exercise or a soft style flow juggle type of exercise. And it's literally the exact same tool. So I love the ability to kind of toggle between the two. I would say I lean more towards hard style, but I want to infuse uh, the, you know, the flow, the juggle, the kettlebell sport into that. So that way you're not just always, everything is a second. I don't like, I don't like to have to always do that. <laughs> and to simplify that, basically I was asking Marcus, um, the, the the Russian style swing, which doesn't go overhead versus oh, that's right, the overhead. The, I the, forgot the, that it was the American swing. That the American you do something style, great, you gotta do it you know, better. The, the extended, it basically. Okay, all right, all right. My bad, my bad. No, no, all good. Go, we'll go back to that question. So, I personally do not do the overhead swing. Uh, you know, I don't see the necess the necessity of it. If it's like if some is good, more is better. It's like, well, no, because the the margin of error is much greater. So for most people that don't have the shoulder mobility and thoracic extension, the, you know, they don't understand how to maintain a neutral neck position. They're going to just, every time I've ever seen it, and I've worked with a lot of, and I'm not going to call out CrossFits, but worked with a lot of CrossFits. And this is typically where you see overhead swings. The number of times I've seen people just jutting their head forward, they're driving their shoulders back. And it's like, bro, you are going to jack your neck up so bad. So for me, I would just say, stay away from it. It's not necessary. Do snatches instead. Do barbell snatches, do kettlebell snatches, do dumbbell snatches. That's how you can get your overhead work in without this narrow grip that you're trying to now, you know, yeah. So now I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm, I'm hundred percent a fan of the Russian style, just the, the short, crisp, powerful, heavy kettlebell swing. I find it's easier to teach. All right. 100%. So where can people find more of your media, your social media, your stuff? So where I spend most of my time is on Instagram, Kettlebell Exercises, which was, I don't know how I got that name back in the day, but Kettlebell Exercises, that was just you luck it. of the draw. And then uh, on my website, strengthbymarcus.com, and that's where I'm starting to put my programs, my courses, getting a blog together in there, and just going back to what I was doing before Kettlebell Kings, before on it, just putting a lot of good information out there and trying to reach a lot of people and give them something of value that they can, uh, that will help them move better, feel better, look better. All the, all the typical things you'd see with training. Man, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for taking the time for my people who have been here for a long time. Go follow Marcus. He's good people. He does good stuff. Check out more, especially if you're interested in more kettlebell education or anybody who is finding my podcast for the first time. I've had a lot of Marcus's friends on my friends. 
Dennis and Kelsey Heenan were on fairly recently. Uh, I've had several episodes that go back over the years with Sohi. Go check that stuff out. And you may go through the library and find some other great people that you like. I've had the industry's elite who's who. Uh, I'm proud of that roster of, of guests. So, guys, thank you for tuning in again. I really appreciate it. And I'm going to try to keep asking you guys. I want to grow this podcast. I want to... I, I'm thinking about ways I can enhance it and make it reach more people. And you guys help me reach more people by sharing it with, you know, hey, you can share it on your social media, tag me, please. That's great. But take this and send it to a friend who's in the industry, who's a coach, and say, this is really great. I think you would enjoy this. And uh, everybody, again, thank you so much for supporting. Marcus, thank you.